the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Tired of the negative news and flash over substance? It's time for Today with Dr. Wendy. Dr. Wendy Patrick is a trial attorney, patriot, and Ph.D. with a passion for people and a penchant for politics. Dr. Wendy brings you the headlines, streamlined, news you can use. It's time to be informed, engaged, and entertained. Now, here's your host, Dr. Wendy Patrick. Good evening and welcome to another edition of Today with Dr. Wendy. I'm Wendy Patrick and my co-host Larry Dersham and I have a phenomenal show for you as always. And we have a very exciting first guest. Larry, who do we have on the line? Uh, James Roguski is a researcher and American patriot who has been calling out government and corporate fraud and propaganda for decades. He was the first to discover the 13 amendments to the World Health Alliance's health regulations that would have ceded U.S. sovereignty over medical emergencies to the director general of WHO, the Ethiopian public official. His name is uh, Tedros. And uh, anyhow, he um, called that out and we were able to stop that. But unfortunately, this attempt to cede U.S. sovereignty is once again before the World Health Organization for consideration. So tonight we're going to be talking about that and how we can stop that from happening. Welcome to the program, James. Well, thank you very much for having me. Um, There's a lot to talk about. I know we have limited time. So what would you like to start with? How did you become such an expert on the World Health Organization? Uh, well, you know, the last year, uh, it has just kind of consumed my life. And um, <laughs> one, of, one of the things that I, I think I'm good at is is focusing, okay? And so there are so many um, bits and pieces of smoke and mirrors and decoys and distractions. You know, I learned a long time ago that if it's in the media and it's all over the media, you have to look the other way and go, what are they not talking about? And so... Over the last month or so, people have been talking about this proposed pandemic treaty, which is a real thing. It's got a lot of horrible aspects to it, but it also has a lot of propaganda that's sugary sweet. The first 12 pages will confuse the daylights out of people. But that's not what I'm focused on. That, in my opinion, It's a real thing, but also functioning as a distraction or a decoy. The thing that I feel is of concern are the proposed amendments to existing international health regulations, of which there are 307, and very especially the proposed amendments from the nations of the European Union, where they would seek, along with other nations outside of the EU, to institute a global digital health certificate, which a lot of people might refer to as a vaccine passport, digital ID, you can call it a lot of different things. People who may be talking about that, but inadvertently attribute it to the treaty, leave themselves wide open to fact checkers because the treaty doesn't include those proposals. 
And so I just want to bring, you know, clarity, shine some light on not the treaty, but the proposed amendments to the international health regulations, which could be adopted in a method that is alien to most people. They adopted different amendments last year, and nobody even knows that that happened. And that's what my concern is, you know, could happen again. What's so interesting to me, you look at the top contributors to WHO, uh, Germany is, is number one as far as nations go, right behind him, before the United States has built the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And I've just understood that Pfizer's just given billions to the WHO to influence them. So this organization is so subject to influence. And if they get their way, it's exactly as you say, James, we're afraid we're going to lose their sovereignty. Now, one thing I don't understand is that we have in the Constitution, Article 2, Section 2, Article 2, Section 2, that says that it requires two-thirds of the senators to concur on treaties to make them binding. But this is beyond treaty, isn't it? It's kind of a workaround. They're going around that so they don't have to even go through our government and they can ignore our Constitution. Is that correct? The in essence, yes, because we're talking about two things, and I want to I want to give you credit. Um, you're the first person that I've ever spoken to in this whole year that did their homework <laughs> to realize that Germany is actually, you know, in the last couple of years, the largest donor. The That's issue, Larry for you. He knows everything. You the, the issue is that um, back in 1948, the Congress passed a joint resolution. And it was signed by Harry Truman on June 14th, 1948. And that's a congressional executive agreement. Technically, in the United States, we talk about a treaty. And in the United States, the word treaty has a very specific meaning involving the Senate. But there are tens of thousands of agreements, you know, foreign entanglements that take a different form. And and so... The international health regulations are a sole executive agreement that's legally binding and incorporated into the international health regulations. We've already agreed to the method by which they could be amended. And that doesn't fit with the average person's like sort of big view of what a treaty is. But the word treaty in international law has a very different meaning. Um, Just like if you're in Britain and you say the word cricket, you know, you think of a game that's kind of sort of similar to baseball, but in Texas, you say the word cricket, you know, they're trying to put it in the food. Okay. (laughs) So treaty, a treaty means a certain something to some people in certain nations. And what has happened is the discussion of the treaty has functioned as a decoy they passed amendments last year and all that it took was backroom deals to reach consensus and then using the concept of silence is consent they brought forth amendments on may 27th last year to the floor of the general of the world health assembly and and they already knew that everybody was in agreement So they said, are there any objections? They wait 10 or 15 seconds. Great. Passed unanimously. And if you blinked, you missed it. Mm -hmm. Now, 
I did not hear any news reports about that. I did not hear that a president or a prime minister had to sign it or parliament or the Senate had to give their consent. What I've been raising the alarm about is that the method by which this could be put into international law is very, very slippery. Anybody talking about the treaty, you're, you're more than welcome to have those conversations, but you're missing the point. You know, James, now that I think everybody is at least getting back to normal, we understand the national emergencies have been canceled. Big air quotes there, depending on where you live. I get that. But what's next for the WHO? I mean, if we are really going to be sort of moving out of this uh, exigency, whether or not you believe it was legitimate to begin with, are they still going to be controlling? Or are they still going to have as much power as they've had over the last several years moving forward? Well, you know, the power that they had was an illusion, all right? Um, right. Article 23 of the WHO Constitution gives the WHO the power to make recommendations. Well, people make re people tell me what to do all the time, right? Oh, you ought to do this and you ought to do that. But it's not <laughs> legally binding, all right? And so everything that's happened over the last three years has been because the WHO said, well, you know, you ought to do this. You should do this. We recommend it's a suggestion. And that's how hypnosis works. A very good hypnotist makes a very powerful suggestion and people just voluntarily obey. Now, what they're dealing with now are 307 proposed amendments from a total of about 90 nations all gimme, 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 gimme. They want the WHO to do what they want the WHO to do. One of those um, changes came from Bangladesh. They want to change the definition of a recommendation and cross out non-binding. Malaysia put forth an amendment to Article 42 of the regulations saying that recommendations shall be implemented. Even the review committee of the international health regulations said, well, that would change the whole nature of the WHO from an advisory organization to those would be orders. Well, hey, James, we're getting down to the two minute mark. Real important. What can the people do? I understand that uh, Congressman Biggs from Arizona has a who withdraw act. Also, Chip Roy from Texas has no taxpayer funding for the World Health Organization. And Senator Johnson from Wisconsin has no WHO Pandemic Preparedness Treaty Without Senate Approval Act. Is that a good way to go, contact those people? Um, anybody can go to exitthewho.com. And I am putting my full support and efforts behind the first bill that you mentioned. Um, it is so simple and straightforward. Uh, Representative Andy Biggs from Arizona's uh, HR 79, um, Who Withdrawal Act. Again, you've done your homework. Thank you so very much. Um, we're building um, sponsorship for that. It's been growing. It's very simple. Um, repeal the legislation that got us into the WHO. It also includes defunding the WHO. We are at the very end of the show. If you, with maybe like one more final thought. I'm so sorry. We got a hard break. Oh, basically go to exitthewho.com 
and put your support behind Andy Biggs's HR. All right. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you to our listeners. Do not go anywhere. We have a short commercial break, but don't touch that dial. We have another amazing segment when you return. This is Today with Dr. Wendy. We'll be back in a flash. News cycle lowlights have no place here. You're listening to the headline highlights on Today with Dr. Wendy on The Answer San Diego. It's time for more news you can use. The headlines streamline. It's time for more Today with Dr. Wendy. Now here's your host, Dr. Wendy Patrick. Welcome back to Today with Dr. Wendy. I'm Wendy Patrick, and my co-host Larry Dersham and I, obviously as lawyers, like to follow what the Supreme Court is doing. You know, they only take cases that are of interest to the general public that either are are matters of of general widespread public interest. Um, They they like to settle disputes between lower courts if nobody can agree on what kind of a ruling should come into place. And they also like to weigh in on national issues. uh, And that brings up separation of powers more often than not. And we had a case that fell into that category this week that a lot of people were following because it had to do with the, the president's promise to cancel or substantially reduce student loan debt. This has been controversial from the start. Um, there's a variety of reasons for that. Um, one of the most cited reasons that actually was came up repeatedly during oral argument, Larry, was this idea of if we're going to, to spend almost half a trillion dollars uh, canceling or substantially reducing student loans, out of what pocket are we going to take that money? And God forbid it should be a pocket that includes people that maybe could never have afforded to go to college in the first place uh, to pay back loans for people that can now pay them back themselves. That's been part of the argument on one side. But, you know, there's so much more to the analysis. And, you know, uh, uh, part, of, part of I think what would be interesting to our listeners is what do you think is the most important takeaway from the oral arguments this week and from really this issue in general. Right. Yeah, just to lay the the foundation, so to speak, really quickly, on February 28th, the Supreme Court heard arguments in two cases about Biden's administration's proposed student loan forgiveness program. It was Biden v. Nebraska and U.S. Department of Education v. Brown. The case is focused on two key issues. Do the petitioners meet the constitutional requirement for starting or standing or injury from the policy? And number two, does the Department of Education have the legal authority to forgive student loan debt? And depending on the court's decision on this, millions of Americans will be uh, have a substantial share in the outcome of this regarding loan forgiveness. So it's really uh, it's really interesting to me, and I don't know if you want to get into the pros and cons, but people would argue, they'll say, okay, well, you're going to, you're going to forgive student loans. How about my mortgage? How about my car payment? How about my credit card debt? Uh, Yeah. Why don't we forgive it all? We just go to the printing presses and and just give us the money. Well, you know, what's interesting about that, Larry, is, you know, to go through the the, uh, ins and outs of the opinion, I mean, it would take us the whole rest of the day. But, you know, it's, it's almost it's a new type of cancel culture. We're talking about literally canceling debt. 
And ironically, you know, you talk about the liberal and the conservative justices. Sure, we have a, a you know, a, a conservative majority. But even some of the liberal justices recognize separation of powers. And shouldn't a price tag this high be something that Congress should deal with? It's hard to argue with that. Now, some of the liberal justices said, well, Congress already did act on this. And, you know, it's just kind of we're broadening the, the power that they already enacted, you know, through the HEROES Act. Remember, this is back after 9-11. This was in 2003. But some of the conservative justices are saying, I'm, I'm not sure we, sh- we can go that far. And, you know, one of the things that the chief justice indicated, John Roberts, is that it seems like the administration acted without sufficient explicit congressional authorization, which, of course, would violate separation of powers. I just think it's interesting the way this three-hour oral argument included some of the usual suspects taking the usual positions. You know what their positions are through their questions. But also evinced some reluctance, it seems. And maybe I'm just, you know, cherry picking what I heard from the justices. But it also seems that there was almost a flavor of how can we really do this, even if we wanted to forgive all this debt? How can we really do it ourselves? Shouldn't this be something Congress should do? Yeah. And are you opening the door uh, by doing this? Then people, other lobbyists and so forth, and people will come and say, well, let's forgive this debt and forgive that. And what's interesting, Wendy, in 2019, this is the most recent figure I have, the average graduate of a four-year nonprofit college, which is the most you know, public colleges, who took out loans, left school with only $29,000 in debt. While the average, now think of this, the average four-year degree holder makes $1.2 million more over a lifetime than someone who only went to high school. So basically, they're taking out a loan for sure, but they're going to be making so much more money than the average uh, person that did not go to school. And so and, and why not pay yeah. it back, you know? Well, that was one of the arguments that Neil Gorsuch made. I say arguments. They were asking questions, but they often forecast their feelings through the types of questions that they ask. And that, you know, several of them sort of touched on this idea of, you know, there are some people that chose not to take out loans. There are some people that repaid their loans. But of those who didn't, as you mentioned, um, the argument would be, should the blue-collar worker who makes very little in comparison to someone with a four-year degree, with an advanced degree, with a graduate degree, with a Ph.D., whatever it is, should the blue-collar worker be paying back the loans taken by those that, as you say, make scores more money? And if that's true, is that some kind of favoritism? And, you know, you, you love the way Neil Gorsuch asks questions because they're very pointed questions, but his tone is just so friendly that you almost don't Mm. recognize the seriousness behind, you know, the power behind the issue that's being verbalized. And that is one that many Americans really understand. And that resonates with many American families who are struggling to make ends meet, who couldn't afford to go to college in the first place. They already know they don't have any loans that need repaid. They didn't take them out, but they're worried. Well, now we're going to have to pay these loans for other people. So it's the kind of thing that maybe it sounded like a great idea on the campaign trail, but just looking at this through a technically legal lens, not social, not emotional, technically legal lens, the justices were saying, is this something this court is ready to take on, should we? And that is notwithstanding this standing argument. In other words, do the people that are making these arguments and bringing these lawsuits, do they have a, a stake in the outcome? Uh, they probably do at the end of the day, Larry, don't you think? Oh, oh, absolutely. They, they do. And uh, what, what, 
was an interesting thing. This is kind of like on the pro side that you should give the loan forgiveness. In 68-69 school year, the average college student uh, paid uh, $1,545 a year. Now, adjusted for inflation, today that would be $12,000 per year for the average college student. But in fact, because of all the other factors, the tuition going up and so forth, it's actually $29,000 a year. So it's gone so much higher than... The, even the adjustment for inflation, that students today have a much bigger debt than they did decades ago. So maybe they do need some financial help and uh, some sort of a safety net, I guess. Well, you know, the, a lot of people have asked me, what's next? You know, what, what, how is this going to impact us? What's next? So we know that on average, it takes the high court three months after an argument to issue a decision. But we also know, because we're court watchers, right? This is what we do. We also know that the biggest cases that the Supreme Court hears, those decisions don't arrive till late June. So we have to be patient. Patience is a virtue. And in this particular case, you know the justices are going to cast their tentative votes at a private conference in the coming days. You know, sometimes they assign the majority opinion to whoever wants to write it, or maybe the chief justice wants to keep it. Let's just hope that this, this doesn't leak like some of the others, like the, uh, the Roe decision did. Actually, that's the only one I could think of that leaked now that I think about it. But it's going to be one of those cases that even though it was argued, um, there were actually two separate cases that were consolidated. Yes. Given the issues and the commonalities, the common ground, it very, mel- it very well may be a single decision that's issued in late June that answers this question. And like you just said, there are a lot of people waiting, not just those who have loans that might be forgiven, but those that are worried that they're going to have hands in their pocket for the money to pay back the loans. Right. Yeah. And if you don't mind, I want to transition briefly into a little short commentary here as we get uh, to the end of this segment. And I'm going to be talking about informed consent. Uh, does it apply? The law in the U.S. is that people that must be given informed consent before a medical procedure is performed on their body. The COVID-19 today uh, is uh, given with little and sometimes without any informed consent. In fact, if the shots are mandated to keep your job, you got to do it, or to attend school, you have to get the shot to attend school. That's the opposite of consent, in my opinion. So look at the facts. COVID-19 vaccinations are not vaccinations. They're gene therapy. That's come out. It's been proven. Vaccinations do not prevent you from catching or dying from COVID. That's been shown. They do not prevent you from spreading COVID. So why the relentless push for the world to get jabbed with this experimental gene therapy? And, uh, you know, we know the ingredients of what's in our groceries that you know we look at the box the cereal box we look at the 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 can the grocery can and we know what the ingredients are but we don't know what are in these shots and this really ties into what james roguski was saying regarding the world health organization there is something behind the agenda to push this out and you know we bypass all kinds of clinical trials to get this out usually they have preclinical development where they test it on animals. Then they have a phase one where they just take a, a few people, they test it to look for negative effects. And then a phase two, they brighten it out to maybe a couple hundred people. But we really jumped from just a few tests on animals all the way to a clinical a stage three where they just sp- spread it out to the entire world. And now we're seeing some of the effects. And thank goodness that Elon Musk bought um, Twitter. We're starting to see some conversation finally on both sides about this vaccine and, and you know we, we, a good argument is always good you don't want to hide the truth and finally the truth is starting to come out so i'm optimistic about that 
Yeah, you know, Larry, I don't know how we ever um, decide what topics to cover. There are just so many different things um, going on in the world. You know, everything from yeah. what's going on in the court of law versus what's going on in the court of public opinion. Amen. Um, wh- whose science do we follow? And, you know, all of the above. But we want to thank our listeners for joining us to, you know, just listen to what I hope is some lively debate and discussion on some of the important issues of the day. And uh, we hope you'll join us next week as well. There's always so much to break down. We're going to pick the best. And I'm going to try to continue to bring you the silver lining as Larry gives you the hard-heading news. Um, And hopefully between the two of us, we'll have a good balance for you next week. So we want to wish you a wonderful, safe weekend. Please join us next Saturday night at 6 p.m. for another edition of Today with Dr. Wendy. Headlines with a silver lining. Have a great week and God bless you. Thank you for joining us for Today with Dr. Wendy. You can learn more about Dr. Wendy and how to become a guest or sponsor of the show by visiting wendypatrickphd.com. That's wendypatrickphd.com. Tune in every week at this same time as Dr. Wendy will engage and inspire you with an upbeat viewpoint on the highlights of the day. This has been Today with Dr. Wendy on The Answer San Diego. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.